biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome. Uh, this is Joel from The Hack Life. I'm here with Grandmaster David Amakuchi. Uh, you, your style of practice is Kaju Kembo. So you're Grandmaster in Kaju Kembo. And you've been training in, we were just talking offline earlier, you've been training in martial arts since the fourth grade. Uh, so we don't even know how, how old you are. I'm not trying to figure <laughs> that out. But uh, it's been a long time. Yes. And you've been training in just martial arts in general for over 40 years. You worked in law enforcement for almost 30 years, 29, exactly. And for a part of that time, you were on a tactical team. As a team leader. Yeah. As a team leader. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Um, we're here in Fairfield, California. You are the successor to Agung Tony Ramos, Kaju Kembo. And I really wanted to talk to you and interview you because, to me, I find self-defense to be just so valuable and so important. And I feel like you are one of the leaders in self-defense. I've been around tons of people in the martial arts world. I've trained in various martial arts. I've been around just various practitioners and martial artists. And out of all of them, in my experience, you, have, you are one of the most gifted and there's just a difference, I would say, when you have put your hands on me than somebody else. Uh, I don't know if anybody, if people can understand that. But, uh, but yeah, welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm excited. So, so, hey, to get started, I wanted to just talk a little bit about your, your upbringing and your background. Uh, you're from Schenectady, New York, but I was wondering if you could just <laughs> go Schenectady. <laughs> Any Schenectady fans out there? Population of... <laughs> Gosh, I don't even know now. This not. This is like uptown New York. This isn't like when people think of New York, they always think of like Manhattan. Yeah, Schenectady I, I, I like, don't forget uh, going to Hawaii and and we went a uh, little tour and they were like, "Hey, that's who's from New York?" And I raised my hand. They go, "That's what a tree looks like," you know. And they <laughs> laughed and everything. And my wife was like, "Oh, he's never been to upstate. We're about three hours from the city. Yeah, okay. three hours from the city. It's uh, what it's most famous for is uh, General Electric Corporation." They used to have their main plant there, which was like a city. Yeah. Okay, cool. So talk to me about your just your upbringing. And how, how did you – were you were you always like an, an athlete? Like, you know, I just interviewed a, a chiropractor who's a big martial artist the other day. And I asked him, hey, how did you get into martial arts? And he said, well, you know, in Brooklyn, New York, I grew up. It was, it was kind of dangerous. So I was doing self-defense out of just like self-preservance. How did, you, how did you fall into martial arts or – uh, you know, that's a great question. Uh, I come from a large family. Uh, there's seven of us. I'm the youngest, but uh, everybody's much older. My sister is like 18, my oldest sister's 18 years older than me. Uh, so I spent a lot of time by myself uh, at, at home um, uh, because they were always doing their own thing and everything. So uh, I would get bored, okay? I'd be extremely bored when I, it was summertime and I'd drive my mother crazy. And my mother would tell me, read books. <laughs> you know, read, read books, but unfortunately, I didn't realize till later on. You know, I don't learn that way, and I have problems with reading. You know, and and I'm a hands-on learner. Can you figure? Yes. Right? Yeah. Go figure. So, 
<clears throat> anyways, long story short, she like wanted me to get her out of her hair. So she's like, okay. I, I go, mom, I see Kung Fu on TV. You know, I want to do martial arts. She goes, okay, okay. And long story short, uh, no martial arts in the early you know, in the mid-70s, early 70s, no martial arts was available nearby. Then finally, a judo school opened up. It was about 20 or 30 minutes away. Uh, but I was already a grappler. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's, that's judo, you know. I want to do, you know, kung fu. I want to do martial art. You know, I want to do uh, karate. So no, what do you mean you were a grappler? I, I uh, um, collegiate, collegiate grappling, freestyle, uh, and Greco-Roman, yeah. So, and how long have you been doing that prior to this fascination with martial arts and that, oh, I want to do more like the Chinese martial arts? It was like Japanese. four, okay. it was like around, yeah, it was around, you know, ever since it started coming up on TV, that's what I have. So, however you are, however old you are when you're like, like in fourth grade, around fourth grade, they had like an intramural program in, in school. Um, but in fourth grade, you were already doing wrestling? Wrestling. You had, that was already something you had been doing practicing? Yes, 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 okay. like fourth, fifth grade. And then... Um, uh, as like intramural in school. And then uh, what happened was I finally, nothing, nothing. So I just kind of banged it out. So my mom's like, I got to get you out of the house. So I started doing Pop Warner football when I was nine. And I just continued playing football. Then around when I was getting close to, I was in high school, uh, I, I decided I was going to go into the military. So my mom's like, we're going to find you a place. I go, Funny you should say that. A place <laughs> opened up right down here, and it's nearby. It's called the Martial Arts Academy, Ron LeBlanc. Uh, it was a martial art called Pengai Noon. And uh, that was my first introduction to doing an actual martial art martial art. And, and how old was that roughly for you? How old so were you? So that, that, that at that age, I was probably around 17. Probably okay. Like 17. It, yeah, I'd say 17, 18. Yes. And you already had a huge – your base was wrestling. Yes. Yes, okay. wrestling. And um, I, I used to get – I used to get in a lot of trouble when uh, I used to fight. I used to fight a lot. Give uh, me a story. Tell me what do you mean you oh used to get man. in Okay, <laughs> so I wear glasses, right? So I was a short, stout, a little Italian kid, right? A little Italian very, goomba. Very quiet, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, I just, like, had this, I had this little sign, like, mess with me, right? But, uh, but <laughs> and I, and from, you know, from wrestling and from, you know, playing football and everything, I didn't really take a lot of stuff. So um, I, I would get picked on. So when they would pick on, I would, you know, I would protect myself back. Yeah. But it was, it was the grappling and the contact sports thing, you know, and that mad Italian temper. <laughs> yes. That martial arts saved my life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> definitely. I think you told me a story, though, when it came to wrestling, you told me a story. You, I don't think you've ever been pinned. Was that right? Oh no! What? <clears throat> so, a huge, huge example. So, like, <clears throat> when I was in the mat room, okay, the wrestling room, when we're training, man, nobody could take me down. You know, I would like never. You know, that would be my thing, right? But when I would go out and I would go into like a, a a tournament or something like that, I would get this anxiety thing that would go on, and I'd get yeah. like tunnel vision, and just it was it was just something I just had to work on, right? That I had to had to work with, you know. So, but yes, when I when I was in the mat room, I I especially um, up on our feet and takedowns. But yeah, I was like never like in the mat room. I if if there was two or three times someone took me down, it was like you know it was a lot. That was a lot. Wow, very cool. 
Pangai Noon, what is that translating to? Tiger, crane, and dragon. They, they say it's the mother art of, the, uh, of like all the rus. Uh, very dynamic tension. Everything was very dynamic tension. The surinji, the for all the moves. And um, uh, I never forget when I brought my wife home to New York, and she was like, oh, yeah, you do mar Okay, you did martial, yeah. Just real quick, okay. your wife is Simo Leah. Yes, Ramo, yes, yes. Yamakuchi. Yeah. So, uh, so she is a martial artist. Sixth she, degree. Sixth, sixth degree, degree but, uh, yeah. born and bred in a family of martial artists. Yes, yeah, so she's a four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of a gung, Tony Ramos's daughters. Yes, his older who, daughter. Who, do, who, who does Kaju Kembo. Yes. So she already had her bias of like, this is, this is the best martial art. Absolutely. Yeah, so when you <laughs> brought her back, she's like, I don't want to hear any of this. I don't want to hear any of this kind of crap. Don't, right. don't, don't show me your, your Fugazi martial art that you R did back in the day. Is that right? Right. Yeah, she, in fact, she was like, when we were here, she was like, show me, what you <laughs> got, show me your stuff like that. And I showed her a form, and she's like, so she went, of course, who's she going to go to? She went to her pops, right? right? And she was like, Pops, have you heard of this? Like that. And he goes, Oh, yeah, darling, it's all. You know, he's like, You know, doing the syringe. And she was like, Yeah. So then we went to New York to visit one time, and I brought her to meet my instructor, and he actually performed for her. And wow. she was like, Dang, that's different, right? I go, Yes, yeah. Any, anything that uh, you could take away from Pangai Noon? Any, anything? Um, yeah, how do you implement that today or any takeaways from, from back then that you still use today that you, you find useful? And like, like, you know, Simo Leah might say at first was able to brush it off. Ah, big deal. But for well, you. When, when I started actually training uh, in the dojo, uh, there wasn't a, there, there, uh, they would spar and we sparred different there. And uh, in Pangai Noon, the stances are different and everything. So what I took from there is uh, they focus from very much of the of a tiger, where um, they just destroy everything. It's like Imua, it's charge, wow. uh, and you go straight through. And they work a lot on body conditioning to take shots, to take blows, and and not to let sit there and let somebody hit you, but as you're going in and to go through and just rip everything. So that intensity and that mm. go forward spirit, you know, definitely carry that over. Yes. And then also it sounds like the syringe and the, like also that mind training to be able to take a shot. Absolutely. Yes. Where you're not feeling it okay. until later. maybe. <laughs> yeah. So then fast forward, um, you, you go into the military. Yes. And, uh, what branch? United States Air Force. So, is that what brought you, because we're shooting this in Fairfield, California. Yes. So a guy from Schenectady, New York, is that how you ended up here on the, the West Coast? Absolutely. Absolutely. So is, so uh, Master LeBlanc, uh, so I'm training with him, right? And I'm like, I got to go, you know. I remember I told you I was going in this service. So yes, yes, David, yes. And, and you know, you're talking 84, right? So he said, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, in 1984, around 1983. And he said, uh, I said, I'm, hey, I'm in delayed enlistment, you know. Um, uh, I want to continue my martial arts education. He goes, okay, okay, so let's, let's figure this out. He goes, if you want to do PKA, full contact, so back in those days you had to be a black belt to compete. He goes, if you want to do PKA, then uh, uh, full contact fighting, Go to Texas. They have like some of the best fighters in Texas. Go, go, go apply to go there. You know, put it in your dream sheet. He goes, but man, if you want to go where the Mecca of martial arts is, he goes, go to California. Wow. So I, you know, 
God's will, I just sat there and I, I put in my dream sheet, Chavis Air Force Base, because they had a tactical unit there. And what I found out was the paperwork was uh, a SAC detachment. The paperwork was kind of outdated, so that SAC detachment wasn't there anymore, but I still managed to come to Travis. So I was looking for a martial arts school when we came here. I couldn't find it. So how? Like, how, if this is the Mecca, how did, how did that happen? Okay, well, it's because I was like 19-ish, and uh, I didn't have a car yet. I just got stationed here, so I had to walk everywhere. Okay. So it so in the locale, I didn't really I wasn't going out and about. So my thing was is I was going to train with one of the instructors on base. Yeah. And there wasn't anything available. So what I did was I immersed myself in in uh, intramural sports in the on the base because I was an athlete and I uh, I did powerlifting. I got heavily into powerlifting, competitive powerlifting. Um, so I did that, uh, and I grappled uh, on the base, uh, intramural grappling. So that's how I immersed myself. Wow. But then finally, one day, we go to a movie, uh, the movie theater, and uh, it, was, it was no parking. So my buddy, I go, hey, man, pull in the back. There's an alley in the back. We get in the alley, and it was hot that night, I remember, really hot. And this back door was open, and I heard these power key out. And I'm like, dude, that's a martial arts school. Let's go over there. So we walk over. We go into the martial arts school. And they had these old couches there. We're like, sit down on the couches. And here's this, you know, Hawaiian Filipino guy down there. And he's teaching class. And I was like, wow. And then, like, they took, like, a break. And he walks over. And he goes, hey, can I help you guys? Like that. And I was like, oh, yes, sir. You know, we're, we're interested, you know. And look at that. My friend's like, you're interested. <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I was observing what was going on. And, man, I could just feel the energy, man. I just felt it. And I was just... I was hooked, you know. I was hooked. He, you know, he, his his personality, you know, um, where you just knew he was the man, you know. He was he was the dude, and I just knew I was home, man. From there, I was like, wow, that's so, so then, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. When it's funny to hear you say like. It's like in this <laughs> behind, like in a garage or something, right? Yeah, like, the dojo was the dojo. Uh, okay, so Rocky won. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know where where he goes in. You're you're in his first training place. Right. Uh, the mirrors. There's like probably like six mirrors in there, and every one of them had tape on it. It was broken. The mat was old school. Um, it was carpet pad covered with uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, canvas. Okay. And there was holes all in the mat. There was tape on it and stuff. It stunk. <laughs> you know, the wall sweat more than the, than everybody, and everybody was sweating. You know, it just was like that. It was like Rocky. You know yeah. that that that. You know, and I didn't look at it like I I knew I, I didn't even you know what man I didn't even see that. Right. All I saw was what he what he had going on. You know, it's cool though because back in the day, it seems like most martial arts like that's kind of how they kind of came out, right? Of like garages and stuff. Now it seems like you go, to, you have to go, go to like a flowery kind of dojo or like these nice easy, mats. Easy, easy, easy. No, 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 no. I can't have Not to say that you have a flowery dojo. This is beautiful. <laughs> We're here. But, but right, I mean, and, and that was like the norm though, like these yeah. kind of like garages and like Absolutely. guys just pounding each other in. It yeah. seems like. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. there, nobody's signing waivers or yeah. uh, insurance. No one has insurance. It's just like. <laughs> right, right. No one's even considered that. It, this is just kind of, I guess. The birth of these martial in, garage gyms, almost right. Yes, yes, you know, and and that's where 
you know, that's where they, that's where he started out, right? He started out on, uh, I believe it was Swan Way in Fairfield. And he just taught and was just little and just a handful of people. So, like, a lot of people say, oh, I, you know, I'm old school, you know, TRK. I'm Tony Ramos, Kaji Campbell, old school, you know. I tell him, man, you ain't, you're not old school. <laughs> All the people that are old school to me are the ones that started in his garage. You know, that's, yeah. that's the old school, you know. Um, and, and most of it was family and very, very close friends and GIs because my father-in-law, you know, Agong Tony Ramos, he was a Jennings mechanic mm. um, at Travis Air Force Base, and that's how he, he came to come here. Talk to me a little bit about the origin of Kaju Kembo, how it was founded, and, and why it was founded. Uh, you know, uh, and, and all this history that I'm giving you, is uh, how the Hawaiians gave it, you know, word of mouth, talking to Tony Ramos and uh, and uh, Agong, we call him Agong, and uh, he basically uh, there was uh, there were these founders and they were young, they were very young, and I didn't realize that till like later on, um, and uh, they were they were kind of they're street dudes, right? You know, they're street guys, especially Agong's main instructor, which is Joseph Imprato. And uh, they, they trained in Hawaii, and it was kind of rough and tumble there because people say, Hawaii, rough? They go, absolutely, especially after World War II. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the GIs, they didn't, they didn't just leave, you know. They just hung out after they got out, and the war was over and everything. So what they found is uh, the straight karate, the straight judo, the straight jiu-jitsu, um, they felt they had some holes in, the, in their game. And yeah. uh, uh, what they did was, is like, hey, man, you know, like, uh, you know, I like what you do, you know. Uh, the foundation would always has always been Kempo Karate, you know, uh, law of the fist, right? Uh, very aggressive, bam, destroying techniques, not just blocking, but so what the happened? Block could be a, you could your block. The block be, is a strike. Is a strike. Yes. 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 Yeah. Right. You know. So you know, Hawaiians cut their words short. You know, a lot of times when they talk quick, right? You know, especially a gargan, he'd see. So it's this like. So that's not like an outward strike block. Uh, it's it's an outward strike block, right? It's not an outward strike, or it's not an outward block. It's right. an outward strike block. So you want to destroy the tactic that comes at you, right? So anyways, uh, they came across, and they were like, these guys came together, karate, judo, jiu-jitsu, kempo, and Chinese gong fu, and they found out there was, like, little holes in their game. So they said, so uh, they didn't teach separate blocks. So it isn't like kind of like an MMA fighter maybe of today that yeah. is like, oh, i got to learn my boxing first, and then I'm going to go do that. So right away, so, like, if you get grabbed – if you get attacked and you get grabbed, the judo guy is like, well, you know how to do a judo throw. Yeah, but the guy might punch you in the face after you're doing that. Right. So so what they do is you got to stun him first. So the Kempo guy is like, oh, yeah, we're going to blast him with a short blast. Then we're going to lock up and throw him. And the jiu-jitsu guy, and then we'll, break the, we'll do a breaking sequence, you know, and, and we'll, we'll just go for the break. Yeah. It's so, I mean, yeah, just hearing you tell this, the, the origin just reminds me of just how beautiful the art is and how it all just kind of interconnects and interweaves uh, from one move to the other. Just, and I'm just thinking about some of the basic techniques that a student might learn when, when they come in, if somebody grabs you and yes. that's stun and everything. It just, it's very cool for me right now in this moment. Thanks. Um, talk to me about uh, just a gung, uh, the kind of man he was, that, that you like a, a, what you remember about him. And maybe just some of his training philosophies, or just some of his some of the stories you can remember. Man, you know, uh, and and you got to remember the era, the day, and what 
you know, I, and where everything came from, right? You know, that's where you got to go. And, uh, you know, the local boy, you know, Hawaiians, man, they had old sayings, right? And one of the sayings was, you know, punch first and ask questions later, right, yeah. type thing. And, you know, and, uh, you know, so, so it was very rough and tumble. But uh, with he had, some, he had some unreal practices. So when he first came here from Hawaii, he taught, you know, you're, you, you teach the way that you were taught, yeah. right? So he, you know, they trained like madmen there, you know, at this Palama settlement and in Wahiwa, you know. Um, they had different areas. They had three different areas that they, they had schools, uh, uh, you know, Palama, Wahiwa, and Kamiki. And uh, even though they, they, they branched out and they had that, you know, Palama was the hub, right? Yeah. But when their, their training, they would say, you know, training wasn't complete unless there was blood on the floor. <laughs> well, you got to remember. So we have a lot of forms, uh, uh, different types of martial arts forms in, uh, or katas. Uh, especially in the Ramos method, we have, we have those. But originally, there was like only eight. There was only like eight. So they trained like two hours, at least two hours a day for like five days a week. So what are you going to do? They didn't do katas, right? You know, all they did was self-defense. So what happens when you do self-defense and everybody starts getting tired and they all, all that testosterone's in there and it's built up? Yeah, people are getting <laughs> knocked out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was, it was crazy. No kids were ever allowed to train and it wasn't any women allowed at the beginning. Then eventually it came. So what happened was Agung didn't start teaching kids. His, his, his kids were like the first kids that were starting. Oh, wow. And then he grabbed a couple with him, with, with, TR, with Tony Ramos Kajikembo. And uh, he, you know, he would do some stuff that he could only get away with, right? You know? But some of the old school Kajikembo thing was is they, they'd put people in horse stances, right? You know, in a, in a horse stance, and they would climb up on you, <laughs> and they would stay there, and you'd have to hold their weight, you know? You know, he could get away with it with his stature, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. With, with that, but, you know, so we had to kind of find a means to do things. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this nice, beautiful school we have here, this academy here, right? Yeah. So we had to change it up a little bit. So we had to modify our training, of course. He also would do crazy things, but he would – he had the uncanny ability – to bring the best out of you, okay? Mm. And it's because he taught with his heart, right? So so he, he, and he knew where he could take you. Yeah. And not just one person. Like, I can't say, because I know I could take you to places that you can go, but I know maybe that next person, they can't go there, right? Right. They, they, I got to stop a little bit short. You just got a little, you got too much stuff going on. I got to work on you. Because if I take you to where they can go, you're gonna be like, dude, okay, uh, you know, I'm, you know, it's too much this is for me. nothing. Yeah. No, oh, you're like, this is, this is easy for me, right? right? You know, I'm, you know, so we have to step it up, right? But <clears throat> yeah, Agung would do some crazy stuff, stuff that, you know, I'd get arrested for, right? <laughs> right. right. But, yeah. um, uh, but he, uh, and, and what I mean is, I got to share this one. This yes. is this is crazy. My my wife is gonna be like, <laughs> so <clears throat> he would take a cro- he would take a crochet needle. Right? You know, it's rounded, but it's metal, right? Yeah. And he would like, stay in your push-up position. Stay in that plank position, right? You know, and he's like, boom. And he'd go, and he'd go, and he, you know, <laughs> kids are shaking. And he would go underneath them with it. <laughs> like, if you fall, you're going to impale yourself, right? And, of course, they would, ah! Yeah. 
but of course he would put it down, yeah. you know, and he wouldn't. He'd go, <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. He was like, wah. I'm like, wow. Yeah, we're not doing that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, we got to bring that back. Bring back the crochet needle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Maybe yeah. you could bring like a rubber <laughs> one, a rubber one or something. <laughs> a rubber one, right? You know, a story I remember too is I wanted to ask you, why did you think early on when you started doing this martial art that this this was legit, this was effective? And I know one of the stories you told me, you said, hey, man, you don't need to go out there and prove yourself with this martial art. You don't need to go out there and get into fights and see if this stuff works. You, you, I remember you telling me this. You said, a gung's already done that for us. Mm, yes. can, can you talk about that or just like um, maybe even like why you thought it was just so effective or was were there stories or that he would – that he was, you know, he would say, hey, I know this works and this is why. Okay. Um, you know what? Uh, it would be safe to say that he never, like, would tell me stories yeah. like that. Um, it was always told by people that were there. Got it. Right? Yeah. And that's the – that – you know, that's when I know, whoa. And then, man, I would tell, I would hear these stories from like, huh, like legit, you know, world-class martial artists that knew him, right? You know, like Aldecos goes and Bill Owens and, you know, and, and they would, they would, you know, they would share stories and I'd be like, you know, whoa, you know, uh, un, you know, unreal. Uh, but, but, or co-workers of his. Yeah. So what he did was, is uh, when he came here from Hawaii, there, there was no martial arts listing other than judo. They didn't know what karate was. Really? So, wow. yeah, so he couldn't, he, they didn't even have a place in the phone book to put it. You know, they had to put it <laughs> under judo. So, and, and, you know, this is when he was in the 60s. In the 60s, he actually started a school in, um, I'm not sure the exact street, but he started it in um, L.A. area, Gardena. Yeah. Okay? Uh, and, uh, but he got a, his job took him to Travis, so he came here. But when he came here in Fairfield in 62, he, uh, he would be sitting there, and these GIs would come from, uh, the military guys would end up coming from overseas, and they would have these diplomas and stuff and certificates written in Japanese saying that they were a black belt certified. But what they didn't know was, is you know, it said in Japanese it was an honorary black belt. But wow. these guys were like, I trained there, like that. And these guys wanted to flex their muscles and stuff. So the local people who knew who Tony Ramos was, they're like, oh, if you want to try your stuff out, just go outside a base. His his dojo was like outside a base at that time. Just go out there and you can, you know, try out Tony Ramos, you know, Kajikimba. He'll be happy to, you know, go about it. <laughs> be happy you. to put on a clinic for you. Right. Yeah. So that's martial art wise. And people would come in and and um and what would happen is is they wouldn't be really respectful when they would come in yeah. and you know, old school days they would lock the door. And, you know, so nobody else would, you know, be bothered or anything. And, uh, and they, would, they would go at it. They would spar, you know. Yeah. And uh, then they would just, you know, take their stuff and, you know, you know make their way back out the door. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and that was it. That was their experience. But then what was happening was um, Fairfield wasn't really um, culturally diverse yeah. back then. And a gung, especially when he comes from Hawaii, he got very dark. He was very dark skinned. Yeah. So uh, what happened was, is uh, you know, there was a lot of prejudices and stuff, and you know, they'd call him the N word. Oh and wow. Th yes. And so he had to he had to deal with like like that. And then um, what ended up happening was 
uh, when the GIs would come, they would find him out on base. And he would, he worked on the flight line, but they would take their break and they would go in this non-flight line area and eat, you know, it was, uh, it was like the, kind of like, it was a restaurant that they had on base. So, yeah. and he'd be eating with his, with his boss and his supervisor. They'd be sitting down eating breakfast at like three in the morning. And this guy would just walk up to the table, you know, and be like, hey, are you Tony Ramos? And then his, then, you know, his super, and his super, the supervisor I talked to, he's the one who told me the story. Yeah. And it'd be like, yep. And he's and and his by the t- way, when you say "Are you Tony Ramos?" that pretty much means we're gonna fight right now, right? <laughs> I, right. <laughs> you know, and he could tell by the look of the guy, and he knew what he yeah. was there for, right? And a gun, you know, he would say too. He'd look at the guy's hands, and you'd see like you know, callus. You know, you could tell he was right. Yeah. He what he was there for, and um and he, and you know his boss is like, no, Tony, you know, <laughs> don't not not again, you know, because this was getting to be like a regular thing. Oh my god. And he's gosh. like, yeah, you know, Tony, not again. He's, and he's like, I'll be. And, and then a gong would say to him, he said a gong said to him, do you want it here or do you want it outside like that? And he's like, he goes, we'll go outside like that. And he goes, all right. You know, and, he, and he's like, I'll be right back. So he'd go outside and then, you know, 10 minutes later, come back in and sit down and eat, you know, and, and that was it, you know. And <laughs> Wow. But this last story I, I, I'm going to share with you yeah. is um, he actually, this is a story that I got, I asked him about because I heard about it. And this changed my outlook, right? So here he is, okay? You know, world-class martial artist. Goes ahead and, you know, goes and does what he does and everything. Teaches, you know, he's a reserve police officer. He taught tactics with them in Fairfield PD. Wow. So he's driving in his car, and they're at the stoplight. And, you know, these four GIs are in the car. And uh, they, he, they're at, uh, he, the, the windows are down. It's summertime. And the GI goes over and he spits on Lagong's, he spits on his windshield. Oh, boy. And he was like, hey. And they, you called him the N-word. Mm-hmm. Well, they got, he, he said some choice words to him, and then they started getting out of the car. Well, Agong had a temper, right? <laughs> and he got out of the car, and hence, in this middle with the lights and everything, he does a multiple attack. Wow. So he gets the first guy, boom, boom, and he and he does basically like our advanced one. He you know he hits him like four times, and guy drops. He goes around to the car. Another guy's trying to get out, and he jams him with the he get jams the door with him, and the guy comes out. But when he's doing that, and he's he's dealing with that guy, he didn't see the other guy that came out of the back seat from the other side, the passenger side. Mm. And as he's dealing with this guy, when he turns, boom, the GI hit him and broke his nose. Whoa. So splattered his, so I'm like, you know, he broke his nose. He got hit, you know. I'm yeah. like, you know, hey, you know, I can't. What? Yeah, how did that happen, right? And he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm yeah, that, ha- yeah, heck yeah, you know, yes, you know. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was just like, you know, I, I didn't think, you know, how could my, you know, how could he get hit, you yeah. know? It's like that. Well, that was a, that was, that was the, um, eighteen, nineteen year old in me right you know yeah and I was like wow really wow you know and he's like yeah and he goes that's that's real you know and I never think forget you know Mike Tyson everybody has a plan to get punched in the face right right yes but uh yeah it was amazing 
So did he actually did he win that fight by the way, or was it just they, he survived actually? No, hey, the key. I'm, I'm Four so, people on one, and he survived. I'm so glad that you said that, you know, because there is no winner in a fight. Yeah. Right? You know, his hands were busted up, you know. And like, we got punched in the nose, sure. But he survived. Yeah, he, yeah, he won. Because what happened was. That is the win. You survived. Yeah. When he broke his nose, he couldn't see anymore. So he rolled under the car. Whoa. Right? He rolled under because the guy was still up on his feet. Right? And then everybody's beeping their horn, like yelling and screaming and everything. So um, he got back in his car. They, they, got back, they got in their cars and they took off. Um, so the side note to that story is Fairfield was only like, it seemed like there was only a handful of people back then, right? Yeah. Well, he went back and he was looking for those guys <laughs> and he went back on base and he found them and they were actually, um, uh, he ruptured one guy's groin, uh, the other one, he broke the guy's arm. In that fight? In that You're, fight. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and he, so picture these guys that did this. Picture him walking up to them while they're in the hospital bed, right? Yeah. You know? And they're, like, looking at him. And uh, and then rumor has it that they, they kind of, uh, those two guys, they, they kind of got orders, you know, to, to go someplace else, you know, after that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, he was pretty well-respected, you know. Ogong was well-respected. And not for so much as, uh, you know, Never using it in a ill means. In a malicious know, way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because I remember when I was training with you, I remember feeling like you would think learning martial arts would make you more um, destructive, maybe. But I remember thinking, actually, I f I feel more calm because I feel like I don't I don't need I know what I can do, and for that reason, I don't need to prove myself to anybody. Right, you learn, man. You're good, dude. You're good. That's you can't. You you don't realize it. But you take. That's exactly like ver, I got chicken skin. I got verbatim, man. That's yeah. that's that's me. That's verbatim. So like, yeah. uh, you know, my profession, right? Uh, my my day job, yeah. you know. So being in a corrections facility, direct supervision can be in there with anywhere between forty to a hundred inmates, you know, and being right up there, you know, and and direct supervision isn't that staying behind the closed door talking smack to these guys and you know, it's being up with them and being able to survive with that, have yeah. them in there, you know, dealing with their problems, dealing with their good stuff and their bad stuff, you know, because because we're all human, right? Yep. You know, and only thing that they did was they crossed that one line. A line I may have crossed when I was a youngster. Sure. Right? But they just got caught doing it, yep. right? So, yeah. So, but when we're in there with them, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, people go, oh, it's just county, right? You know, county, yeah, people don't realize that they stay in that county until <laughs> they go to prison. Right. Right? So, we have people that spit on the street to murderers, right? Mm -hmm. So, we'll be up with them and to have that confidence to be there with them and to know, and 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 usually, um, I had a I I don't want to give away my secrets and stuff, but uh, when they start, when they this is fine, okay, and this the is the mouth, off, right? Yeah, yeah, they can pop Shipping off. Away. This is my most dangerous weapon. These two things, my mouth and my and my brain, right? Your brain, it's your most dangerous weapon. And I, what I say to myself is, you know, God, you know, I pity them. You know, I, I, they don't know what I can, what, what can happen, <laughs> what can happen. Yeah. And then if it keeps going to a point, then my, my usually my my fail safe is I'll look at them and I'll give them the look, right, <laughs> and let them know, and I'll project myself in them, and I'll say. 
dude, you need to stop before you see some stuff that you'll never seen before. <laughs> and that usually, that, that usually, of, yeah, yeah, usually verbal judo. Yes. Talk about that. Actually, that's this is perfect. Talk about you know you were in corrections. You worked uh, 29 years for the yes. sheriff's department. Yes. I'm I'm not necessarily. I don't want to. I'm not looking for. Oh, tell me a story where yeah. you beat someone because it's not about that. But no. just tell me maybe any memorable story where you just remember like, man, I'm glad I do Kaju Kemo. Like mm-hmm. this worked or this this saved me. This helped me in this this moment. Uh, I was probably less than six months on the job. Uh, I had to put myself through the Weaponless Defense Instructors Academy, which was a uh, eighty hour course. Uh, uh, I believe it was 80 hours. Yeah. Um, uh, I worked grave shift, and then I had to bring myself to San Jose. I drove there because uh, the sheriff's office wouldn't sponsor me because <laughs> I was a corrections officer. Of course, yeah. So I put myself through the course um, and, uh, you know, worked with a great instructor, Don Cameron, uh, legendary, and um, and came back, and uh, and I had this martial arts knowledge, and then I had this legal stuff that we do yeah. for law enforcement. And back in the old days, it was basically dang near you had to get punched in the face, you know, before you could protect yourself, you know, in law enforcement. It was different. It was a different era, you know? Yeah. Right now, you have to get punched in the face before you can pr- You're saying back then, too? or Back then, too, it was, really? too. You know, it wasn't even so much as, well, you're supposed to, right? Right. Right. So... <clears throat> what happened was I was less than six months on the job, so I got all these legal stuff in my head, you know. The mental I, stuff that is in the background that kind of almost can... Handcuffs you. Yes. It handcuffs you, right? So, because if I just straight Kaji Kimbo, if I had in the situation, yeah, I'd be fine, sure. right? yeah. But legality, I'm not. Right. So, I, I'm going to tag team this yeah. real quick. So, uh, I, was, uh, I was in a unit with like 40 inmates. <clears throat> Long story short... Uh, this guy didn't come out for his meal. I went in there. He was a fi- he was a fifty one fifty inmate. Um, Someone with a mental illness, basically. Yes, mentally yeah. ill. I had him before, and he like got sent away. I didn't realize he went away on an observation for like a week, and then he came back to us. So uh, hindsight, I didn't know what happened, but he didn't get his meds when he came back. They didn't restart him on the meds. The medical program wasn't the greatest in twenty nine years ago. So <clears throat> what happened was. Uh, he had, I went to check on him, and he attacked me in the cell. Uh, we were fighting. Do you remember uh, how, he, how he attacked absolutely, you? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, he only had boxers on. He jumped up. Uh, I was, went to check because he had stuff piled on his, on his, and I wanted to see if he had food in his cell. Mm-hmm. So I pushed. Yeah, it looked like a rat's nest. I pushed it aside, and he jumped up to his feet, and he took both his hands and tried to strangle me. Um, I knocked his hands away, and I, I hit him with a quick shot, distraction strike. I buckled him. He went to the ground. He started coming. He got, got back he, like he wasn't feeling it. Uh, he was about 200 pounds at the time. Uh, came up, and, and the fight was on. And I'm trying to restrain him, and I can't hold on to him. He's slippery. Uh, <clears throat> and from sparring, you can get timing, right? Yeah. So I, I know the timing, so I'm like, Okay, this has been like a minute. You know, there's two minutes. That's a long time for a fight, people. I don't know if people have been in a fight, but that's a minute. 30 seconds is a long time in a fight. Well, I had a panic alarm on my, on my uh, it's called the LNX alarm. And when you go horizontal, it goes off. Ah. If a pin gets pulled, it goes off, or you can manually push it. Well, it got ripped off in the fight, so I already heard it. Ooh. 
So I'm like, oh, man, the cavalry is going to be here. The big black wall is going to be running in, right? Whatever color the uniforms were there. Yeah. So we're sitting in there, and, and, and we're going. Well, the only one out in the, in the day room was one of my mod workers, an inmate worker. And so I'm sitting there, and, and we're on, and I'm, like, hitting them, and I'm, like, trying to control them and I, because I'm trying to use control techniques. Yes. So I'm like, oh, this isn't, you know, and in two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, you know. Well, it's getting to the better part. <clears throat> I'm losing track of time now. Now I'm, you know, my shirt, I feel like I'm a sweat stain. I can't keep a hold of them. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, heck with this. So I put my arm around his neck. Okay, I'm not applying a choke. I'm just, I'm dragging him on my knees. We're on the upper tier. I drag him on my knees out of his cell enough that I can see my mod worker. And I go, hey, you want to hit that red button on the wall? It's a panic button. I'm asking this mod worker to help me, (laughs) right? What I didn't realize was he's already been hitting it. Nobody's coming and responding to help me. Wow. So now, you know, eight minutes Nine minutes. So now I'm like physically tired. My arms are cramping. I feel the lactic acid building up. Okay. I'm, you know, banged up, bruised up, you know, because of my knees and stuff, dragging on the cell. So finally I'm like, that's it. So I hook him up. I'm getting ready to do a rear naked choke. You know, I, I, you know, I go to hook him up and he reaches up and he puts his fingers in my eyes. Wow. I parry his hand away. I hit him with a distraction strike with an elbow. And I'm like, that's it, man. You know, it's Kajikimbo mode now, you know. I locked Life him out. Life or death, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was me or him. I was getting physically, you know, I was physically spent. Yeah. So I locked his neck out, and uh, and I was gonna break his neck. Cool. And uh, I locked his neck out. I took him one way, and then all of a sudden I heard the outer door, bam, slam on me. And then I hear all these keys rustling, and here was that wall of officers that came in and they're like what happened you know i go he tried to kill me up in here like that (laughs) so my sergeant jumped in the air and like was getting ready to do an atomic knee i go it's too late for that (laughs) just help me cuff him yeah so we cuffed him and took him away so at that point a lot of things happened the thing that saved me was the kaji kimbo strive to stay alive man Mm. okay and me thinking of my wife and my children and i had to get home to something that's what kept me that's what changed my martial arts forever. That's when I started becoming more and more prepared and thinking of the street and always working at that street, thinking about the next step, always uh, taking it to another level. So that's where I, that's why I won't teach something if it doesn't work, okay? Yeah. Uh, we modified. Agong, that was what he was known for, okay? He was known for being an innovator. Innovator. He, did, he taught Kaji Kimbo as it, as he believed it was, which was very eclectic, okay? So if it didn't work on street combat stuff that he did, he didn't use it. One day I was teaching at our old school, this old-time black belt walked in. He's from another lineage, okay? Actually a solid lineage, the the very solid lineage, uh, Reyes lineage. Mm -hmm. Um, And he came in and I kind of knew him, but I didn't know him real well, and he just wanted to come to pay his respects. So he walks in, and he bows to a gong's picture, right? You know, and he's like, that guy, man, you know? He's really funky, that dude. And I'm like, funky? I guess so. I'm like, like getting mad, right? yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm like, fool? You know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, that's my instructor you're yeah. talking about, right? So, but this guy's got like, 
almost like a Jerry curl, you know. <laughs> he's, you know, and this is in the '90s or '80s, and and he's like, no, 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 because he saw the look on my face. Yeah. Like, like, no, he's fun. You know, he's funky. Like, like cool. Yeah, or he's bad, he which goes, means he's yeah, cool. Yeah, he goes all the out of all the old timers, man. He he. If he didn't work, he didn't do it, man. And he was just, he wasn't afraid to do it. And, you know, he, one of the things that, you know, was so special was, is like when he implemented like Chuan Fa Gong Fu into our system, more heavy, right? And what he did was, is he, he took someone who was junior to him, probably like 10, 10, at least 10 years junior to him. And he was asked to learn from him and he did. Yeah. You know, and he would he wasn't afraid, you know. He didn't have that I'm the dude. And he wasn't afraid to say it. Al DeCosco's actually, you know. And then when Al left, uh Bill Owens out of Oakland, um, you know, Agong, you know, implemented his stuff through through them and his and t sending his boys, some of his boys there to to learn it, to implement it in our method. Yeah. Am I bouncing around? I'm no, sorry. No, this is amazing. I'm sorry. This is amazing. I'm sorry. But but I got to tell you, but that was the defining moment. Yeah. Right there. That's the defining moment, and that's why I was like, and you don't know, because this, because that's just that's just like one example. Yeah. Uh, so when they when they ran the paperwork, you know, on the alarm. Yeah. I was fighting for 12 minutes. Holy cow. Yeah. Before help came, and what happened was it was a brand new facility at the time, and they they had trainees in there. And the, and the field training officer stepped out of the office to get a to get a coffee, <laughs> and he left trainees in there, right? So I was like, yeah, that was it. But uh, but that was a that was that was really one of those close encounters. It's crazy because twelve minutes, you know, you look at MMA and boxing, you know, three minutes and you get a break, five minutes then you get a break. You were fighting for your life for twelve minutes. There is no break, you know. Um, you know, my, my, my wonderful supervisor, she was so funny. She goes, David, I'm so glad it was you up there. I go, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. right? Thanks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just true. Because someone else either would have lost their life or they might have had to use force in a manner that just doesn't seem um, visually aesthetic or, you know what I mean? Just something yes. that doesn't maybe not as be as appeasing. But you had the confidence in martial arts that you knew your capabilities. Absolutely. You knew, you knew your capacity. Um, it's funny though you say because uh, you've said it a couple times and it just the mental game that martial arts gives you that mental strength and I know one of the the lessons that I I take away when I when I look back at my my training and where I am now I that's something that I that I really hold on to I think almost the martial arts the moves and everything is nothing in a, in a sense yes. it's something. Yes. It's a portion of it. But I think about who it made me and, like, the confidence that I have. It's just you can't – you cannot replace that. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know how to even explain it to people, really. Um, well, you, you know, know it, it's it, – I, I got to yeah. share it with you, right, is uh, you can't. Yeah. You can't. I mean, you can try. Right. And just like people say, what do you do, man? You know, you, you, do, yeah. you do this. You know, what do you do? And I'm like, man, you really got to come in, you know. And then if they come in and watch, they're still getting like a quarter of it. But you really don't get it until you step on the floor. Yeah. You know, I have parents. You know, I've got people that have been training with me like 30 years. Right. You know, they started with me when they're four years old. Their parents have been sitting there watching them forever. You know, and and, you know, the parents are like, oh, you got to do this more. You got to do that. And then I'll have like a special parents night where they can come out and get <laughs> on the mat. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, wow, I didn't know. You know, so. 
Yes. Yeah, the anxiety and stuff. They yes. don't want to look foolish. And yes. then, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. A couple of things you said to uh, one that, that struck me was the multiple attacks. Yes. You're talking about a gun and he had yes. to fight off four people. Kaju yeah. Kembo is known for that. Yes. Talk about just some of the the rules and principles of multiple attacks and what makes Kaju Kembo so special. Because when you look at a lot of other martial arts, uh, I'll just give you an example. Like Jiu-Jitsu, for example. Okay. Jiu-Jitsu is super popular. Yes. But I don't ever really hear them talk about multiple attackers. And I think that really makes – you know, you see, you see Krav Maga talk about multiple attackers. Mm -hmm. Other than Krav Maga, I can't think of any other martial art other than Kaju Kembo that really talks about two-man, three-man, four-man, how to actually systematically break them down. Yes. Yeah. So um, so that's that that was that's a gong's, you know, that was like his forte, right? You know, that was his that was, you know, if you if you could put, you know, different things, um, his go point and uh it, and it's true. And and man, you know, I gotta tell you, uh uh, you know, I love jujitsu, you know, it's it, it's good. I you know, I love all martial arts and a man a man who masters his own art is a tough man to beat. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Okay. You know, versus somebody who's just a weekend warrior that learns like twelve martial arts in three <laughs> weeks. You right. know. So uh but uh yes, in, in Kajikimbo dealing with multiple attackers, uh uh we use uh you know, definitely um, your surroundings. We're always using our surroundings, knowing our surroundings, how to use that to your benefit, uh, as well as uh, stunning our attacker. Uh, we have standard rules with it. Uh, we only hit them a certain amount of times because, and, and there's, we have standard. So, like, usually we don't stun somebody, and when we hit, we do multiple hits. Uh, so, uh, when we hit Why? Some, why, why do multiple hits? Because it, it basically over, overloads their sensors. Uh, so if I throw one technique at you, you know, bam. But if I throw three at three within like uh, a half a second, you know, you're not gonna be able to catch up to my techniques. At least maybe the first two, maybe you compare that the third one's gonna hit you. Yes. Or, yeah. Yes. So like for instance, we don't hit anybody more than three times. Uh, then we shield. Yeah. Right? We'll shield, and we use other attackers against each other, and we'll use the person for for balance and focus. And when you're coming up to the ranks in, in Kaju Kembo, um, for someone who's never done a class, okay. um, you know, some of the testing requirements that people have to do is, is multiple attacks, weapon attacks, yes. right? Can you talk about just some, some of the, the weapon attacks that uh, students are exposed to? Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, back in the... Back in and so when I say Kaji Kimbo, you know, definitely I'm referring to Tony Ramos Kaji Kimbo, right? Uh, uh, because uh, you know Agung did so much with it, right? So it's it's a little bit different. I remember back in the old days, I said Kaji Kimbo, you know, uh, does this, and I was a young Sifu at the time. I didn't know better. Internet, you know, was just coming out, <laughs> and I'm like, and then one of my students comes up to me and goes, "Of course, Sifu, you know, you said that Kaji Kimbo does this, and look, this guy got." Promoted to he's twelve or whatever he got promoted to black. Okay, Tony Ramos got to Gimbo, right? <laughs> so back on back on that. Um, yes. So we deal with most commonly dealt with weapons. So at, at beginning levels, we deal with a uh, knife and defense against a knife or a stick. Yeah. Um, uh, and Kaji, and that's the one thing about Kajikimbo is it did that from day one. Man, that was, you know, they focused on that right away. Um, so we deal with a lot with that. So they'll, they'll be, they'll experience. So back in the day, we didn't like start that till 
we didn't do knife defense and stuff until you've, they've been training like almost a year and a half, right? Mm -hmm. So nowadays we don't do that. We start training it like very soon, okay? Like really? Why? A, because of today's world. Wow. Okay? Because of today's world. So, <clears throat> and we never would teach gun takeaways. Uh, you know, uh, th that was like a gung's rule. He would never teach gun takeaways until they were like a black belt or close to black belt level. And I was like, well, why? He goes, because who carries guns? Well, back in the old back, days, yeah. it was just the good guys who carried guns, right? Cops. So we didn't want to just teach anybody who came into our school how yeah. to disarm a law enforcement officer, right? That makes sense. S but today's world, you can't do that because now, I, you know, bad guys carry guns and they do it regularly, right? Yeah. Just real quick, I want to something that really touched me that you said was when you were, when you were in that fight for your life, you were talking about, you know, how things flash th through your through your through your your eyes, right? Your your mind, you're yes. thinking about your family and stuff. Yes. Is, when you teach martial arts, is that something in, in especially in terms of self defense? Is that something that you try to implement to your students? Like, you know, you need to have something, and I think Tony Blauer talks about it, like something personal, something uh, present. Um, he says you need to have like some kind of why, right, uh, to why you're doing it. Like in those moments of life and death, you need to have something that's in your mind that's going to keep you to fight for the rest of your life. Because if think, and I think that makes sense because if you're just doing it for yourself, uh, people can give up on themselves pretty easily. But when you think about your family, your son, every New Year's, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they give up on their goal yeah. like uh, two yeah. weeks later, right? <laughs> yeah. So is that something that? That you that you try to implement, in, in, especially in terms of self defense, that you implement to your students. Yeah, you know, and and Joe, I mean, even just so something as like uh, how we hit, we you know, I start. I I'm a firm believer of um, uh, building blocks, right? Get have that foundation, and everything that we teach off of foundation, we plug, right? So we constantly just build upon it and yeah, plug it in. Block up. So like I start out with explaining to them how important a victory is. Okay, that you need to have a victory. Every class needs to be a victory. Okay, where there's no losses. Okay, the only time it's a loss is if you don't learn something. Yeah. Okay, and it doesn't matter. And then people go, well, you know, my favorite instructor when he teaches, you know, like that. I go, what? You can't learn something. Well, he's not my favorite. I go, okay, but you can't learn something from him, even if it's what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're <laughs> like, well, yeah. Well, they just had a victory right on. Right. Yeah. So there's that victory. But then we talk about hitting home victories. Right. And of course, uh, uh, you know, I I drill it to my students, but they kind of like subliminally get this stuff. Right. You know, because we're doing it little baby steps and feeding it to them. But the challenge challenges is where I got to get in and and hammer home is like when I teach seminars. Right. Mm. So I definitely I hit home. I tell them, you know, right, whether whether it be law enforcement or military, you know, and and then, of course, moms and dads. Right. And I and I explain to that man, even if you've got a pet goldfish at home to get to, <laughs> right. you know, you got to find it. Right. And you just got to find it and it's got to be there for you because you got to go home. Right. You got to have something to go home to. Yeah, so cool, and it, yeah, I mean, you're right. Without it, there, without that why, then why are you doing what, you know, why, why are you doing it? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and, and you, know, you know, people ask, well, why do you do that, right? You know, and, and, and it's so I don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Right? Why do you learn how to, you know, pull this out or, or use that against somebody? Or, are, you, are you paranoid? No, I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm prepared. 
okay? I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself. Why are you preparing yourself? You're trained your whole time. Oh, Tony, how can you talk about that guy, right? Right. Okay, right? How awesome, man. What a, you know, what a, what a great dude, right? You know, uh, very knowledgeable, you know, definitely. Uh, I, I, I use a lot of his stuff, you know, went through his school and everything, yeah. man. It was, it was awesome. You know, uh, I use that 97.3 rule, man. Talk about that. The oh, man. Yeah. So like, you know, especially, you know, teaching law enforcement when I did, uh, I talk about 97.3 rule. 97% uh, of the bad guys uh, will go along with the program. They have respect for authority. Woo! What's that today? Okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. So they go like, hey, man, I need you to go ahead and step over here, you know, like that. And they'll step, yeah. you know. Uh, and But then they have what they have that perceived compliance right that pc yeah that the three percenters right the three percenters that will attack you like a sociopath like that guy up in the cell right? yeah like that guy that pulled the shank and tried to stab me you know that that's the that's the the three percenters okay they don't go along with the problem but they just don't like resist they they're gonna kill you they're like a sociopath they're a sociopath they're gonna kill you right yeah. so that's what we train for the three percenters so i teach these law enforcement Right, academy or, or uh, new hires or even veteran officers, and they're like, you know what, Amakuchi, but that's just you, dude. You know, you got, uh, you know, you're the only one that can, you know, do these crazy things, get out of your restraints and attack somebody and, and all this other <laughs> stuff. You're the only one that can do that. So, I, I got, okay, time out. Okay, so you're gonna train for the 97, three, 97 people that do everything you want, or you're gonna train for the three percenters? Because what do I look like? Do I look like I can do what I can do, right? Right. Well, no. You know, like that. You know, they come to, they come to, I, I remember when they got, they would get sent to my school to train for hiring, and I open up the door, and they go, yeah, I'm here for, you know, training for the law enforcement, you know, update. Yeah. And I go, yeah, come on in, man, like that. And I go, I'm looking for a Yamaguchi. <laughs> I go, yeah, it's Amaguchi. This is Italian that's going to be teaching you today, not the Japanese guy, you know. So, yeah. You know, it's funny because I remember when my dad, so when I was 18, I was kind of like, probably almost like you in the sense, I'd always wanted to do martial arts, and I just, for whatever reason, I just never got a chance to get into it. And I remember asking my dad, like, hey, um, where, where should I go? And he goes, I got this guy. He's amazing. He works with us. Go check him out. I go, okay. Gives me the address, whatever. I go check you out. Yeah. Same thing. I come in. I come in. The school's <laughs> not open. I get there, like, before everybody's open. I'm like, knock, knock. And then you open the door. You're like, yeah, what's up? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my dad sent me. I'm, I'm telling you who he is. Like, he said he knows you or something. And you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on in. And uh, I'm thinking, all right, where's the Chinese guy? Where's the Asian guy that <laughs> teaches martial arts? You're like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm David. I'm like, same thing. I'm like, who's this Italian guy that trains in martial arts? Yeah, I always, you know, I say, <laughs> you know, so Kaji Kimbo, right? So I go, you know, TRK. I said, how how great is this, right? Like, you know, and I joke with the gong. I joke with, you know, we kid around. I go, I go, look at this. I go, pops, look at this, man. You know, you got a Chinese Japanese <laughs> martial art with Filipino influence because we do the stick fighting. And it's taught by an Italian. What an ethnic <laughs> joke is that? Oh, man. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you. So over the years, like you said, and Kaju Kembo is eclectic. Yes. That was your upbringing with Agung yes. is eclectic. Yes. So what things over the years have you added to the art or and things that you've subtracted because you just found it like 
this is not really that useful. Okay. Uh, so uh, the cool part about is um, Agung had added things that he, you know, that for, of course, in the way he was taught in 1947, you know, uh, 1950 to him. Uh, so... Whenever I wanted to do something, so so how I came into teaching law enforcement was as I asked him, you know, I said, hey, I want to teach law enforcement. He goes, you know, you're not going to be able to do that unless you're in law enforcement. You know that, right? And I go, oh, you know, he goes, yeah. So that's how I applied for the sheriff's office. Oh wow. So and I go, okay, I'm here. And then I put myself to the academy. Well, um, anything that I added to our method. It was approved by him. Yeah. I, you know, didn't, you know, smoke and mirrors. But a lot of my senior black belts of Agongs looked down upon me because I changed things. Right. Right? So, like, we were doing pad work because of my influence through, I was influenced through senior grandmaster Ted Sotelo. And he was an older brother to me, you know, in martial arts. And... He, he gave me pad work, and we worked on pad work, and, and I started doing that, you know, in the early, early 90s. God, you know, Kaji, regular Kajikimbo schools weren't doing that, so the older brother's like, he's doing pad work, you know. And then I got approved by a gong to train directly under his stick fighting instructor, mm. senior grandmaster Kokoi Kenyette. So I got to train directly under him. So he allowed me to implement that into our martial art. Okay. Now, not implement it this much. Implement it now this much. Because Tony Ramos went to Cebu City to learn from Kokoi for a month. And then he brought it back. But it was the foundation. Mm -hmm. Kokoi moved to San Jose. And then we started implementing his stuff. So I trained directly under him. And he allowed me to do that, and I trained all the way up to now I'm a senior master under him, under uh, Supreme Grandmaster Kokoi. And we took that and we implemented it into, into our martial art. So we implemented that. I, impl um, I implemented uh, uh, a lot of our law enforcement um, techniques, uh, yeah. uh, jiu-jitsu, some of our jiu-jitsu. Um, uh, but the, the, the other thing, improvised weaponry, you know? Okay, talk about improvised weaponry because I know this is one of your specialties. And I want to highlight because I remember when 9-11 happened. And it was either the day that happened or the next day. And I remember coming into class and you gave a really powerful presentation. And you were just – a lot of it was centered around you better find the will to win, the will to survive. And one of the things that, that stuck with me in that, in that presentation is you were talking about, you're like, hey, I don't know what happened on the planes. I don't, I don't know the details. But you were saying, you were telling the class, you're like, you got to find something to survive. And what do I mean by that? And I remember you took a magazine and you rolled it up real tight. And you showed us how that could be an improvised weapon. And how you, you could really, you know, pepper somebody and disarm. Because, you know, this, the plane at that time, they were taken over with people with box cutters. Yes. And so you basically showed, like, I could use this rolled up magazine and I'll disarm this box cutting guy. And then I'm going to go into what I got to do. The will to survive. So, yeah, talk about improvised weapons. I mean, that's just one of your specialties, I think, and that you're very good at. So, uh, b basically, um, anything that's around you especially when you're in a new surrounding, 
I'm always scanning. Well, of course, checking the exits, checking the entrance, not sitting with my back to the door. But then if I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm eating and, and I feel things are going bad, um, if I don't have anything that I have brought with me or carry on me, then I look for what I can be used as a weapon, you know, around us. And this is where my wife kind of draws the line, you know, <laughs> with me. She'll be like, uh, she, she borderline almost gets up and walks out of the table, walks away from the table when I start, right, when, she, when I start going. <clears throat> no, but uh, like, for instance, um, do you like talk about one or? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I, I, what I, I like, look at. Like, one of the things um, that I know you that's very popular, one of the, like, any cla a class that I always recommend people should take that you teach okay. is, uh, you call it a Yawara class. Yes. But, and it's, it's kind of changed and, um, it's it's changed over the years. You've modified it and made some some changes. So just talk about well, that. That's I, a great one. I I'll, think. Let me just tap right into because it's because it's kind of like a double 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 yeah. hit on it. So let's go back to the magazine. Yeah. You remember earlier we talked about you can learn something from everybody, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I have. So it was a very much a learning experience for me. You know, you have to be a modern day warrior, right? Okay. Yeah. So part of being a modern day warrior, you got to be the whole package, right? You know, this is my belief. Don't yes. let me force my belief yes, on yes. anybody, right? So um, part of it is where did I get that from? You know, the theory. You know, and I'm a firm believer, and I learned this from uh, from Grandmaster uh, Albacoscos, right? And what it was was uh, he said, when you don't give people credit, like like people, like I do a lot of weaponry stuff. Now I take it to a different level, right? I might learn like this much, but I'll take it to my level where yeah. I feel I need to take it. Um, my Italian's busting out in me, man. I'm, I'm tearing this stuff up. Okay, so <laughs> what happens is um, where I got that from is inmates. Wow. They take the magazine, they roll it up tight, and then what they do is they wrap it with sheet. Okay? It is so strong they take a 55 well they take a like a 30 gallon water, uh, excuse me, 30 gallon trash bag, they fill it full of water. So you know how heavy that is, right? Yeah. 5 gallons of water, how heavy is that? Yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy. They take it and then they put it on that and they do curls with it. That's how strong that is. So <laughs> it doesn't just pepper somebody, you break bones with that. Okay, mm. so I learned that from the inmates, and now of course they say it's to work out, but it's to cave somebody's head in. Yeah, right. So that's one example. The other example is is like I may be sitting at a restaurant, right, and I go, okay, so things go into pot. I don't have anything to protect myself with. By the way, can't you just use a fork or a dinner knife? I mean, isn't that a weapon? <laughs> I'm glad you said that <laughs> because um, it is. It is. But, you know, today, you know, today's world, right? They might not have a knife on the table. Chopsticks. Right? Might not have chopsticks. Mm -hmm. You know, they might just have a, a fork. So what I do is I take the fork and I put it in my hand and, uh, you know, uh, of course I tip them heavily so uh, <laughs> I pays for the fork. So I'll take the <laughs> fork and then I'll manipulate it in my hand. And what I do is you, you wrap it around your hand and then you take the two prongs and you stick it out like this. Mm. Now it's a punching device. Improvised weapon, right? People that are listening to this, they're definitely going to think, this guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was good with him up until now. Now, he's, now yeah. it's gone a little crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. That's the, but, but the reason why I do that is uh, because, you know, I could pick up a glass and hit you in the head with it, right? Yeah. But look how scary, right? Because of your thinking. And that's where I wanted to take you. Yeah. Now you're like, oh, wait a second, right? I want them to, you know, when, when, when I'm like, 
you're like this, man, yeah. right? Okay. But when you try to take my life from me or my wife or my or my children or my close friend, okay, that switch, that yeah, switch flips, that right? Switch. Absolutely, right? So uh, the UR, so like the URA, right? Yeah. So yeah, so um, my thing is is finding things that are legal to use, right? Because in today's world. For sure. So um, I'm always looking for that. Now, like if I'm at the house, you know, not too many people have wire hangers anymore, right? But if I have a house, if I'm at the house and I need something real quick, I'll take a wire hanger, pull it like this. I have it like that. Now it's a whipping device, a striking impact weapon. Pop, 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 move real quick, mm -hmm. right, through the air. Um, if I have – now I need something else. So I travel a lot. I travel uh, the country. I teach seminars. Um, one of them is my Yawara seminar. Uh, so what I've come up with is I need something that I can travel on TSA and not get taken away. Got to tell you, when I went to that seminar and that, that what I was going to, I was on my way to LA. Okay. Train with another world renowned martial artist. Right, uh, the sheriff's office sent me to this one. Oh, thank and, God! Uh, it, it is actually a knife fighting class, uh, and it and it was put on by uh, Lynn Thompson, who is a, a lot of people don't realize is a martial artist, uh, is owner of Cold Steel. Cold knives. Steel. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. World's sharpest <laughs> knives. Right. So Lynn Thompson. So training with him. So one of the reasons what why was I that went, like, by the way. I'm sorry. What was that like with Lynn? Is he pretty cool? He is. He's he's cool. He's he's a uh, he, he's a he's a hard charger. Yeah. You know, he's a hard charger. Talented, talented. Yeah. Uh, talented, uh, and uh, uh, learned a lot of stuff. You know, and when I was on that, when we were on that uh, that trek to go there, it was a knife fighting school, and it was a week after nine one one. Wow. When I traveled prior to that to teach my edge weapons course. When I travel, I carry two Spyderco Enduras back in the day, and they are both on me, serrated. They're about uh, three and three-quarter inch blades, and I carried one here and one in the back of here, and I walked right on the plane. Because back wow. in those days, well, I take, take that back. I took them off and put them in the basket. They go, oh, wait a second, and they opened it up. So people are like, how would they get the box cutters on the plane? Because you could back in those yeah. days. They looked at it and everything. Once that happened, boom, no more. Now I got to have something on the plane to the equalizer, right? Yeah. So always looking years later, and then all of a sudden, boom. So I researched out and I found something, right? So I found a flashlight, illumination device. So what? I took the flashlight and I'm like, okay. So I, it's my Uara. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a pocket stick for me, and it's legal. So, like, on my flyer for my course and stuff, I got, I'm taking this cheesy picture of me on the plane, you know, with it in my hand, right, to show that I got, you know. And they, didn't, they don't even stop you because it's a flashlight. It's a flashlight, yeah. 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 But that little flashlight you can do a lot with. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, by the way, do you still, um, in terms of knives, because that's also something that you're very talented with, is that something? Do you still do cold steel knives, or is there a knife that you're that you like now better? Yeah, I still, I, I still pretty, pretty much I, uh, I like uh, cold steel. Uh, I use those um, predominantly. I focus on those. There's other good knives out there. I won't say there isn't, but as far as for uh, the thing I like about it is uh, Lynn tries and tries them, and he puts them through insane tests yeah. that I don't have to. Okay. 
So like he'll do like push up. So so like uh, the most superior blade in a knife fight, of course, is uh, a long fixed blade knife. Well, it's hard to walk around with a machete, you know, with it. Although Lynn does, you know, he's a big dude and he carries like a Bowie that's this big in the back of his pet. You know, he's just, <laughs> it's unreal, right? But um, my thing is tactical folders. Uh, and you're and you're good with because I've seen some guys now they like just the straight blades. A lot of them will carry them kind of in their um, in front of yes. um, where their belt line is, and they can just grab it out of the sheath, and then they they're ready to use. With the I'm not as well versed in in knife fighting, but like the cold steel, the switchblade, you have to flick it out. Does do you feel like that delay in time is a problem or no? So switchblade, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I never forget. Um, I did a uh, I did a course, and uh, it was just when they started coming out with law enforcement carry switchblade knives, right? Uh, and um, I'm here. I am teaching this knife course, and this hard charger younger guy, you know, and is on a break. He starts, you know, I'm doing the tactical folder. It comes with the course. We're working. This is what we're here for. And he's pulling out this this switchblade and showing everybody. And he's got a crowd around him. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna nip this. I gotta nip this. Right? <laughs> so what he did was, I go, man, you carry your knife where you carry yours, and I'll carry mine where I carry mine. Okay. Yeah. And uh. And it was like his eyes got big, and I go, "No, you stand over there. I'll stand over here, okay?" And uh, and they'll say, "Draw," you know, and and we'll draw our knife, and then you simulate like you're gonna cut, okay? And we'll see you can get the knife out first, right? And I had a I had a folder, a lock blade folder, and he had um uh he had the switch blade, and he you know they said draw, and he was cut already. It was just he was he was still trying to find the button. Wow. You know, with it, yeah. So, um, Aldo Coscos actually is the first one that that demoed a uh, fixed blade. Uh, excuse me, a uh, 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 folder, a combat folder. You know, to me, uh, uh, he made it quite the experience. You know, he <laughs> smashed me with it and then did an open, and and then I looked at it and uh, he showed me, you know, it and he showed me one open and then I just took it and I uh, I I. I made it for me. Yeah. You know, I owned it. You know, I, I uh, and now I have, you know, a full-blown course that I do with it. Yes. So cool. Yeah. And as far as I know, this is a big statement now because there's a gazillion people out there. But uh, him and I and the people that we taught were like the only ones that I know that use the knife that way. You know, that actually open up the knife that The folder-style knives. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because I don't feel like it's that common. I see, a, like I said, a lot of guys go into the straight straight edges. So they can just get it out very quickly. Yes. And, and I like busy. it because when it's when – it's, well, you know, it's legal. Uh, it's uh, – you know, that's a, that's a, a huge thing with it. And um, But I use it closed a lot. You know, with you know, versus having it open, you know, or you fixed. just use that as an improvised weapon. You're, you're saying absolutely, in a, yeah, in a closed position. Yeah. Yes, because right, so so you know, you have things that the design purpose. So a knife's design purpose is to cut people, right? Yeah. So whenever you take it out of that design, right, then it's an improvised, right? It's an improvised. It's like your handcuffs at work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it, but it's an impact weapon, right? When you, when you take it out of it, it's an, it becomes an impact weapon, right? right. Yeah. Definitely. Do you ever get in fights with your wife about uh, her taking your knife and opening like Amazon packages? Because I just got in a fight the other night. I was like, could you not use my my cutting blade for that? I don't even want to show you. <laughs> and then Are you she, kidding? Yeah. She's like, you have 50 million of them. <laughs> but that's my self-defense knife. That's my self-defense knife. It it's used not made, for nothing. It's not made for cutting Amazon yeah. boxes. Yeah. It's made for that one time or 
if I need to use it. Yes. Yes. And you don't need you honey, you don't want me to try and pull it out when it's gummed up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um man. You know, uh uh you know, I I miss the hell out of this guy. Yeah. You know, uh geez, when you when you oh man, when you tell tell stories, I woo I was like flashing. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Thanks, me too. Yeah. No, seriously, because I, when I was preparing for this interview, you know, I was thinking about my career in law enforcement, and I was just kind of thinking about how I got there, right? And then I was thinking about my mentality now, and honestly, I was just, I was just kind of grateful. I was like, dude, I I owe you a lot, you yeah. know, like I I think of, and and that's what I was talking about the mentality game, because. When I think about, I had a couple instances in Oakland when I was working in Oakland, and uh, I thought I was going to have to shoot this guy. Uh, and actually, after I debriefed him, he said he had AIDS and stuff. He wanted us to shoot him, and he had ran away from us. And mm. so what happened is he ran from us. My partner and I cruised around looking for him. Uh, I had my gun on my lap because uh, he was running through the yards, and I was just prepared for anything. And he comes out, boom, catch him. I show up, and I'm thinking, I point my gun at him. I'm like, he's going to give up. Like you said, 97% of the time, they give up. The yeah. three percenters don't. So this guy doesn't give up. He he looks at me. He goes into his waistband reaching for something. He had a screwdriver or something. I had no idea. And I was like, uh, I'm like, I don't want to shoot this guy. So I, I run up to this guy. Should I have done that maybe maybe not you can judge my tactics right. whatever but i ended up doing a move you had taught us i'd come up from behind and i clapped his eardrums and i brought him back oh my god anyways i think about stuff like that and i just think about and i remember just being in the academy right and like i remember if i tell people the story i just remember i remember being just crazy like possessed in a sense and i try to think like oh where did i get that and i think a lot about just my martial arts and the mental game and just how it changed me, right? And I really feel like you made me and others into just not like machines or anything, but just really just like this warrior spirit. And that is something that I take into my life day in, day out, how I think, how I operate. And I, and I just feel grateful for that. So I just feel like I had to share that because yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same way, man. Yeah. Um, and and even now I feel like it's funny. Uh, some of the more recent um, fights I've gotten into in law enforcement, a lot of it has been using the spear and you know, yeah, using that to Tony Blower spear, which we worked on a lot, and just yeah. using that as kind of like Jack in the Box, boom, using that and then yeah. transitioning. Absolutely. So, yeah, just uh, indexing palm strike, dude. I gotta bring that back. Indexing palm strike, man. That's that's that is like, and that's that's money, man. You know, I had somebody run up on me. Uh, I had somebody run up on me recently at uh, um, at a gas station. You know, and man, talk to the hand, right? You know, and he was like, "Whoa," you know. I'm like, "Dude, back up," you know. Uh, what did this guy want? <sighs> To see what cell phone that I had. He thought I had the new cell phone out. 
That doesn't. <laughs> that no. doesn't sound. That doesn't sound right. Right. So he runs up. On, he he pulls up in the car. Ju- gets out and starts mad dashing to nice car. Yeah. His wife starts yelling at him. I go, dude, you're not from this area, huh? Yeah. No, we're from. Yeah, you don't run up on people like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because I he was I was gonna drop him, man, if yeah. he didn't stop, man. You know. But indexing palm strike. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you. You know, you are. We talk about eclectic and just always changing and always yes. adapting. One of the one of the weapons that you use that you're very well versed in is the whip. Can you talk about that? Because I just think it's nobody. I don't know anybody that has that is using the whip in martial arts. So, so um, you know, it's becoming you know more and more popular. Believe it or not, um, uh, uh, I, it was introduced to me. You know, um, it, was, it was another one of those things. Right? It was introduced to me. Um, uh, Ron Liu was one of the introducers, his instructor to it, uh, and him. Uh, we're at a martial arts tournament, and they go, check this out, you know. So I checked it out, and of course, you know, I think a month later, I went and bought my own. A pricey toy, right, especially if it's a good one. I think, like, 15 years ago, I've been playing with it for probably, like, 10 to 15 years, right, you know. So it was, like, $375 to have a whip, classy. It's, but they're beautiful yeah. because they're hand-woven and awesome. Um, so they introduced it to me, and then I basically took it. You know, I, I, I do what I do with yeah. it. So my thing is if I have something, I, I, I'm i not going to use weaponry just for the beauty of it. Uh, the thing I like about the whip is that you learn about yourself. Wow. Why? Tell me Tell me how. Because you know how you have to have that explosiveness and the boom, but then you have to have that peace at peace, right? So Ron Liu does something called the Tibetan whip, right? And his Tibetan whip style that he does, he calls it the Tibetan wave. So it's very Tai Chi-ish, okay? Mm. So it's very boom, flow, very, very flowing um but uh you know grandmaster ted right you know we, we senior grandmaster ted satello uh he, he's like yes you know he say you know it's all about you know the self-defense aspect with it yeah right but that calmness when you do the tibetan whip thing is like tai chi yeah and it's hard to control it it's easy to horse the whip mm-hmm. okay but it, it'll teach you about yourself because if you, you know, force, 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 yeah. it's going to bite you, right? Right. And to have that calmness, you know, to have, you know, that it has that balance, you know, where you can have that balance. But I want things, of course, that I can use it. Is it legal to have a whip in your car? I assume, yes, yeah. Why? Uh, I don't know. Just go back to some kind of cattling uh, laws yeah, and stuff like that. Implement, <laughs> it's a farming implement, right? Yeah. It's a farming yeah. implement. So I also one of my things is is um, uh, is the Schombach. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> never forget that, right? Yeah, never. Nobody forgets the Schombach. Yeah. So um, that's an awesome thing, also. And uh, I actually I, I teach that. Uh, I teach seminars in that too. It's a um, South African crowd control tool, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's 
my wife hates that weapon. And the reason why she hates it is it really doesn't take skill to use it. Mm. And, uh, she, you know, so she doesn't like something that, you know, the average Joe can just pick up and start swinging it and being, being effective with it. Yeah. You know? But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's some of my, my, uh, my weaponry stuff. Very cool. Tell, um, hey, tell us some exciting projects that you're working on right now. Well, um, the, the, in so the exciting project that I'm working on now, it, when you say exciting, you mean to me? Or I, you yeah, mean to me? I, I specifically any any because project it, it, or projects that you're working on that excites you right okay, now. Okay, well, it's myself. Yeah, that's 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 it? That, that, so. that's the number one thing, <laughs> yeah, right? Because yeah. you gotta you gotta take care of number one, right? Yeah. So number one, my I I'm I'm working a lot on myself, right? Um, that's that's huge because uh, I. Um, I have to stay on top of guys like you, man, because yes. you guys are just coming up, and I just got to, you know, and uh, I feed off you guys' energy, you know. I feed off all my kids' energy, and, you know, some of my kids are like 70 years old, right, you know. Uh, when I say kids, I mean my martial arts students. And uh, one of the projects that we're doing, actually my son's uh, going to, well, he's helping me with it, is uh, we're working on a leadership program for the Tony Ramos Kaji Campbell schools. We have uh, three schools that fall under our organization, um, C4 Anessa, Aranon, Simo uh, uh, Leah's sister, my sister-in-law, Agong's daughter. She's out of Hawaii? A, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, Big Island, Hawaii, um, and Sifu Jason Jones in um, Yelm, Washington, Washington State. So um, I'm working on a leadership program to develop young martial artists to get them uh, to be leaders, not just uh, in Tony Ramos Kajikamba, but our community. Uh, one of the things, one of the mantras, and definitely I feed off of that is uh, uh, not only treating, uh, teaching strong bodies, but uh, hearts, yeah. training the heart. You know, uh, and uh, to have that balance because, you know, Kajikim was always known for having kick butt martial artists, man. Okay. Yeah. And I say, man, I don't want to, you know, I don't want a gazillion kick butt martial artists. I want a gazillion kick butt martial artists that are good people and good people and good people in the community, you know, because uh, it, it just helps us build better communities, better futures yeah. for these guys. I like how you said that about, I, I was not expecting you to say that you, the exciting project you're working on is you. But I like that because you're right. There's so many people that just don't have any awareness of what they're doing. And so having that, the fact that you cultivate that awareness to, to make yourself better, right, every day, I think that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. And we should all be striving to be working hard on ourselves, And it should never die, right? You're always trying to grow and get better and better and better. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I, I think it's even on my whiteboard over there. Uh, uh, my son wrote it, and that man, it makes me feel good, you know. And you know, you're my son, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you, you know, when you, when, when you're doing this stuff. I mean, that, that's what I mean by pushing me. Yeah. You know, doing stuff like this, man. You know, that's that's just awesome. But you know, he's writing messages for himself, but for our classes, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, he's got Kanai up there, man. And yeah. and and I'm a firm believer in it, right? You know, that constant, never-ending improvement. And if I can't do it as myself and my as an instructor, you know, how can I expect my children and in my martial arts do people to do it? Yeah. So we always always got to strive to be better, right? Yeah. Cool. You ready for some lightning round questions? Uh oh. Okay. So, just so you know, lightning round doesn't mean they're just gonna be shorter, shorter responses. It's not gonna be. You need. You don't need to. Are you telling me I'm long-winded, man? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. 
they, <laughs> I, well, they're they're built to be shorter responses, but that doesn't mean they have to be. Okay, so yeah, because you know I'm I'm at a disadvantage because Simo Lee is not like behind <laughs> you going, cut <laughs> cut him out. Yeah, don't worry, you can talk as long as you want. I don't I don't care. Take your time. Are right, you ready? Okay. If the old you could see the new you, what would the new you say? If the old you saw the new you, well, basically, if the old you saw, you know, that, that uh, when I say old you, I'm thinking like 18-year-old, 19-year-old, yeah. he'd be like, they, what would he say? He, the 18-year-old would say to the to no, me what today? Would the, what would the new you? What would, oh, what would man, the, if what I, would the new oh, you say woo, back to your old self? If I only knew yeah. what I knew now. <laughs> right, right, right. Right? If I only do what I knew now. Yes, yes. Yes, that's what that's what I'd say to myself, man. You know, because uh, you know, uh, so you know, one of the most common questions students will ask me, it'll be like, you know, I'm having a trouble getting this. I feel like I've got two left feet, you know, all this. I go, "Hold on, man." You know. I was like a blue belt. And a gong would be like telling me stuff. He'd be like, "Dude, you need to do this, son. You know, you need to do this. You need to do this, right? You know." And even my brother-in-law would, you know, Sifu Conrad would be like, "Hey, dude, you know, like," and I'm like, "Okay, okay." And I'd just like get frustrated with myself. I'd be like, yeah. "Man," and right around blue belt, don't ask me what it was. Okay, but all of a sudden, bing, 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 all these lights started coming on. And I remember Sifu Conrad Ramos was away. He lived in Ka- Kauai, and all of a sudden he came up to me. And he, he hadn't seen me in like two years or a year and a half. And he saw me and he goes, and he was like, dude, if actually, he actually fought. We fought. We sparred. And he is like, whoo, you know, he goes, what happened to you? <laughs> like, I go, what? He goes, dude, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Because I, I go, lights started coming on, bro. Yeah. You know, I was like, man. And he's like, yeah. He goes, keep doing it, man. Keep doing it. I go, right on. That's cool. Who... Who has impressed you the most in your martial arts career? It could be, it could be anybody. Okay, um, it could be any yeah, any martial artist that that you maybe you, that inspires you or that you look up to or just somebody. Yeah. Okay, um, not in. I, I got to do more than one. Is that okay? That's a hundred percent. And uh, in non-specific order. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, you know, you know, I've been around like I, I've been around like some of the world's most awesomest martial artist from and, and I've had been in their presence and trained with and everything so it could be a long list but just going to the top three we're just gonna yeah. stay with the top yeah, three yeah. Tony Ramos Senior Grandmaster Kokoi Kenyatta okay and Senior Grandmaster Ted Sotelo can you can you just tell a little bit the audience just a little bit about Kokoi Kenyatta and Ted Sotelo because I got a chance to meet both of those guys and those are those are great so picks. Like, those, I, are, those are great picks. Okay. Agung, we know about. We talked about him. Yes, but, I yes, mean, yes, yes, yes. Just yes. talk. I mean, Kakoi Kanyete was doing, Dose Pares was doing the uh, stick, Eskrima. If people don't know, mo- most people hear of Eskrima, so they understand that. Yes. But ni- uh, stick fighting. Yes. But he's been doing that till like, he's 90 and was still a badass. Yeah, 94, 5 years old, sparred up until... Like in his nineties, he'd still spar like two or three times a week. Um, man, he's just—he was, you know, he was a living legend. Unfortunately, he's not any, you know, he passed. But, um, gosh, he just—he he was phenomenal. Um, if I just broke it down into two words, yeah. you know, uh, 
an awesome person, okay, gentleman, yeah, you know, uh, world-renowned martial artist, un, you know, documented like hundred undefeated, uh, full contact stick fighting battles. Uh, he could. Uh, he was a straight killer. Yeah. But he was a gentleman. He was man. a gentleman. Oh my god. You would gosh. not get that from him. He would laugh and man, do, look him up on YouTube. People got videos, I have gazillion videos of him. And I I saw like I was able to see some like you know, video like old school footage of him when he was like sixties and they said like maybe in his sixties you could see his stick. You could see like tra- tracers of his stack. But prior to his 60s, you couldn't even see it. It was just a blur. It was just be a straight blur. Yeah. And then Grandmaster Tetsutello. Yes. Um, he probably was a gung got to work with Bruce Lee. They exchanged ideas. Uh, Tetsutello was my Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, gosh. Um, he, he, uh, phenomenal martial artist. Phenomenal. Saw him do his stuff, not just working with him wise, but saw him do his stuff and just destroy people that, you know, wanted to test test his stuff out. Phenomenal. I remember Al the Coast Ghost, hadn't seen him in years and years, and Teddy walked into a Kajikimbo International Seminar and didn't recognize him because he was bigger, you know, and because he wasn't a little, he wasn't a young kid anymore. Mm-hmm. And... Right away, he said, you know, that guy the, had his best hands out of all the guys that I ever had. Teddy always had the best hands. And um, and I think until he saw the other stuff that he did, and then he was like, whoa. And um, Teddy was a very well-rounded martial artist. Uh, uh, my benefit was is that he wasn't like the typical, you know, what people would say, like a martial artist build. Um, I was very fortunate to have a gong allow me to exchange with him because he was a Kajikimbo older brother. Uh, he was a mentor. Uh, he, he actually, um, you know, made a promise to a gong that when, if something happened to a gong, that he would continue to mentor us. And, you know, he was like, that's my brother, absolutely. And, yeah. and he was always there for us. But his martial arts was phenomenal. Um, one of the things that um, we exchanged is he wanted my knife. He wanted to learn my knife stuff. So I would teach him the tactical knife because he'd see it. And he was like, but if you knew Senior Grandmaster Ted, he would learn everything and anything because he wanted to learn how to defeat it. Mm. So if he had, if he was afraid of something, okay, he would try to learn it to defeat it. So, like, for instance, he had, like, a pet alligator one time or something. <laughs> he was afraid of reptiles. I wasn't around when he had it. I go, <laughs> Ted, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. But uh, biggest heart in the world. But by and by, the most talented martial artist, I ever, martial artist I ever had a chance to step on the mat with, definitely. Why why Teddy, though? I, I know a little bit about him as far as Haifeng Kuhn, one of his um, Well, yeah, so styles, he, he developed uh, something called Ho Fai Kuhn, which yeah. is translates into fast fists or Fai Kuhn, fast fists. Um, uh, it is, um, and and it's his mixture because he did so many different martial arts. Started with Aldecostos when he's a little kid. Aldecostos moved away. He continued to do boxing. He was like a Golden Gloves boxer, you know. He was getting ready to turn pro, but he had a detached retina, so he had the boxing skills. And um, what it was is, and, and that's where some modifications came into the Kajikembo. In Kajikembo, the fighting stance was a deep horse stance. Mm. Well, try to get that in your 
and your work boots and your duty vest and your gun belt and everything. Yeah. What's well, not happening, right? So he wasn't he was he was just a martial artist, right? But he modified his stance. He choked his stance up and he it, we call it like a tiger stance, but we call it our street fighting stance. Yeah. And it's a modified hybrid stance, which is a like a combination of a boxing slash grappling stance. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the stance we transition to when we do our street fighting. So he had that expression of Ho Fai Kun and he taught me, right? And I and he goes, David, what you do is your version of Ho Fai Kun. It's it's Amakuchi version, if you would. Yeah. And which I don't call it that, right? Yeah. I call it Fai Kun. But it's the higher levels of stuff that we do. So his principle is is the same principle as Dose Pares. So he trained with Kokoi also, but Kokoi was like a gung. And they were innovators, and they learned from their students. Interesting. So Kokoi would live half the year here, other half of the year in um, Cebu City, where his headquarters is. And what was happening was, Kokoi would come back to the Philippines and he'd work and they'd be like, what is that? You know, you're not fighting the same way. Oh, yes, this is my, this is my, you know, 1990s version. This is my 2000 version. Every year he'd come back uh-huh. and he'd go back and they're like, what? He's not looking right. And what the, pro- what the no, there's no problem. What yeah. was happening was he used his core group that he trained with, okay, is predominantly Ted Sotelo, Junior Cataverio, Alphonse. Those guys were all Kaji Kimbo guys. And martial art, and they were learning, and what they got activated was the offhand. Ah. So a lot of stick fighters just use this, mm-hmm. but to use both hands and the tracking hand, right? So yeah. to get that. So Kokoi, so he was learning. Because he always wanted to spar. He always sparred. That was his thing. No yeah. form. Spar. He spotted, he spotted, he spotted. Spar, spar. And that's what he did. And that's what he brought. So with with Senior Grandmaster Ted, the principle behind the Dose Pares when Kokoi is the rapid hitting, the pa 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 and the arced strikes. So that rapid hitting, it's hard to defend once it gets going. So with Ho Fai Kun, you know, it's about disrupting the sensors, sensory perception of the brain. Now, I will share one one quick story with you is uh, I was just learning this from Grandmaster Ted. I totally was uh, – I was working Grave Shift. I would go to Fremont where he lived at the time, and we would stay up to like 5 in the morning working out, and, and we would just be doing techniques, going over tech. David, do this, do that, do that. Everything from that to massaging, doing martial arts massage with each other. Wow. And my wife would just be sleeping with his wife on the couch, you know, and they'd be like, oh, you guys are still going, yeah. And we just would do this regularly, right? And what happened was I came to Fairfield, and we're in a nightclub, and it was like a karaoke food family, you know, place. And we're in there, and they're doing karaoke. And long story short, uh, a fight broke out in the bar. Uh, I'm sending these guys, you know, uh, I'm like, I got to be to work soon, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, let's go. And I'm like, so I tell my students, I go, I go, hey, um, one of my senior students was there. I go, hey, take Simo, my wife and my daughter, and get them, get them out of here. And they did. And, and as they're getting them out of here, the owner runs up to me and goes, David, David, please, please. And he knew, he knew me because we yeah. used to 
you know, be there a lot. And please, they're destroying my place. You know, please stop them. Stop them. I'm like, oh, man. Here we go. Right? So I walk over, and, I, and I'm like, oh, I really want to get involved with this, you know. But this one guy's running up behind people, sucker punching them from behind. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, this guy's got to go. He's got to go. So I walked up behind him, and I put my hand under his armpit, and I put my hand across his chest, and I'm guiding him, like, slowly. I get him about three feet. Next thing I know, the guy comes up and gouges in my face, right? So I kind of, like, lose it. I lift him up in the air, and I slam him on the Tile floor. Now, Filipino club, right? So, you know, bam. So I slammed them down on the floor, and you hear the bam, right? Well, what I didn't realize is when that happened, everybody turned and looked, right? So I, I dropped them. As soon as I dropped them down on the floor, I followed up. I, I was pa 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 pa. Yep. I hit them three times real quick. And next thing you know, I felt this boom, and I had like a leather coat on, and I felt this boom on my back. And somebody hit me from behind. I didn't realize. I turned around, and I didn't realize, but I started doing a whole fight cam. Ah. So I got, I dealt with that guy. Bah, 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 bah. And then next thing you know, I got another guy. Bah, bah, bah. So I ended up putting my hands on three different people. So my guys are getting everybody outside, right? And I'm boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh, smack. You know, everybody's look, coming after me now, right? <laughs> it was like, get the Italian, right? <laughs> so anyway, so I do it. And I'm like, oh, I got, let's get out of here before a gun comes out, right? <laughs> yeah. So I run to the parking lot. You okay, babe? You okay? Boom. So I go to get my car, and these two guys are following me. Oh, right? brother. So they run up on me, and then they go, they go, sir. Like that, I go, what? Like that. And they go, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't know who you were. I'm sorry. You know, like that. They're like, apologize. Check yeah. I go, yeah, cool, dude. Get out of here. Yeah. I'm like, get out. Get out, you know. So, but I got it. That's the thing right there is that was the first time that I ever used Ho-Fi Kuhn, and I used it in a multiple attack, mm. and they just couldn't deal with it. And that's where I just, I was like, yes. You now know. you're a believer. Oh. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Awesome. What's one thing, if you had to just tell somebody who knows nothing about self-defense, what's one thing you could you would tell them? If you could only tell them one thing, what would that one thing be? And they were trying to learn self-defense. What's one thing that you could tell them that would make them safer? Uh, be aware of your surroundings, okay? Uh, project yourself in that positive manner, right? Meaning, you know, chest up, body language, okay? Yeah. Chest up, to, you know, and then a lot of times that'll keep you from even having to put your hands on somebody, especially the would-be, right? Yeah. Okay? You know, um, uh, making direct eye contact. Hey, let's try something new today. Uh, uh, let's look at people in the eye and talk to them, huh? How about that? Uh. Let's do that. Let's try that. What the heck, huh? You know, it's my first homework assignment. I don't know if you remember. It's my first homework assignment when the student signs up, right? Okay? I don't care if they're three years old or they're or four years old or they're like 74, okay? It's all about the life skills, right? Yeah. Okay, but walking up in a positive manner, knowing your surroundings, okay? You know, uh, looking people directly in the eye, absolutely. So walking around in a horse stance was not one of the suggestions? Yeah, no? yeah, that guy, no, yeah. No, <laughs> no walking, walking around with your hands up in a boxing stance? Not yes, work. yes. That, yeah, that won't do it. Okay. Any books that you'd recommend, and usually any books that like, have impacted your life, usually I say one to three. I'm a big reader, and I feel like I've gained a lot and learned a lot. 
just from other people. Any books for you that or that would resonate that you would wish someone else should read as well? You know, um, unfortunately, if if you you know that thing about working on right. Yeah. Okay. So um, what what I found, you know, from talking to my brothers and sisters, right? Large family, seven of us. Um, you know. Parents, my dad had to drop out of school like when he was in fourth grade to raise his mom and his sister. And uh, so, um, what we found is that we're we're hands-on learners, and the reason being is is because we have issues with retention. Yeah, you know, so that's why we're also hands-on. And my parents had such a strong work ethic that they developed in all of us. Uh, so I don't do a lot of reading. That's my negative side, you know, because I have a hard time retaining, yeah. you know. So I've found other ways to deal with it. But um, there is some really good uh, – uh, one book that really affected me, and uh, uh, I don't even know if it's in hard copy. It's the uh, uh, the Paragram of a uh, Moral Warrior. It's by Dave Rose and uh, Rocky Martin. Wow. Yes. I've never heard of that. Yes. You got to see it. Uh, Dave, you know who Dave Rose is, right? No. You don't know who Dave Rose is? No. <laughs> okay. Um, he's like, he's like, he was Don Cameron's like right-hand man. Oh. Yeah. Um, but they're both uh, uh, decorated war veterans and um, a really good book. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then. I'll uh, put it in the show notes. Yes, and the other one is, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll show it to you, you know, uh, is um, the Bible. Yeah. Bible, man. Every every day. So that's so that's a, a life-changing thing for me is um, born and raised Roman Catholic, right? You know, and uh, we weren't taught a lot about the Bible, right? So uh, that I do that. That's my, that's my daily thing. I get up uh, an hour earlier uh, to do, to, uh, to um, do my devotional, okay, and it's just my time, you know, mine and, mine and God's time, yeah. you know, um, and then um, uh, after we do that, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll journal what's going on, you know, uh, what, I, what I need to be, um, and then uh, uh, last book, okay, uh, uh, it is, uh, oh my goodness, Pursuit. Pursuit. I've never heard share of that with you. Okay, it's a twenty-one day fasting book, and huh. it's written by Dave, uh, Pastor Dave from um, the Father's House in Vacaville. Very cool. Very cool book, man. It's a it's a life. That's a little life changer right there in itself, man. Yeah. 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 Any so it's interesting. My next question was going to be: Are there any hacks or rituals or practices that you implement on a daily basis? It sounds like you just mentioned one: the Bible and the journaling. Yes. Anything else that you do on a regular basis that you would recommend that people should do, and that it, yes. you get so much benefit out of it? Why is not everyone else doing this? Um, uh, I I do myofascial rolling. Oh. Um. Uh. With um. Uh, Anthony Crisco, uh, he he certified me as an instructor in it, right? Uh, and uh, C four NASA turned me on to it, uh, and it is uh, it's a different type of rolling, you know, uh, and it's with a hard a hard roller, a very hard roller. Yeah, and uh, that that has done you know wonders. You know? Really? Yeah, absolutely. So I do that. I do that daily. Uh, how 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 long? 
it takes so I do try to do a full body when possible. So yeah. that takes a it can take on the better part probably like an hour and fifteen. Wow. Yeah, an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah. It's like what do you get all that time, right? Yeah. So that's a that's a tough part. So we get so we struggle and do like a partial roll and the, you know how that is, right? Yeah. It's like warming up one part of your body versus the whole thing. So that's been a, a very big effective uh uh thing that we've implemented um sweet four next actually has a rolling class i used to have one too here at the dojo but yeah. i had because i don't i don't have enough hour teaching hours in the day unfortunately yeah you know so i so i do it myself that's cool yeah i didn't yeah i didn't know that so like just some kind of like 10 minutes even if you can just get 10 minutes on the roller just rolling out certain areas of your body that are tight or i mean that would be the bare minimum but really really yeah. the out i mean yeah and how I, how long how often how many times a week will you do that every day or every day if possible really yes yes, yes. and you feel like it just keeps you limber and just it does it does injuries? it does because it breaks you know your fascia so i never knew right until i did you know i was introduced to it you know back in the old days right and date myself you know what's the largest uh, organ in your body, your well, your skin. Yeah, you know, well, it's not. It's your fascia. They found out it's your fascia, mm. and uh, you know, I didn't realize what fascia was or what it does. Right, you know, and you know, was it explained to me? It's like a dried sponge, right? You know, and you know, that's what you have blockages in your body, and that's what the cramp when oh. you when you roll, it breaks that fascia up and it allows the water to flow through and the nutrients. To flow through, and that makes you pliable. You know yeah. that's that's right. Very cool. Last question: Where can people find you? Here, no. <laughs> <laughs> Where's here? Right. Um, you can find me. Uh, uh, I we have we're on Facebook. Uh, Tony Ramos Kaji Kimbo is on Facebook. Uh, um, you can also find me uh, at uh, trkprof at me dot com. Um, and uh, our Tony Ramos Kajikimbo headquarters is in Fairfield, California, um, thirteen twenty-one Oliver Road. Very cool. Anything that I that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you? I don't. Not that I can think of, man. I was yeah. uh, man. I'm you know so honored because this is what you know. This is what being a martial arts instructor is about, man. Is is to see people, uh, you know, from that eighteen-year-old kid that came through the door, you know, to, you know, uh, uh, to a professional, you know, who's taking themselves to another level. That's what, you know, that's what being a martial arts dad is about. I'm extremely proud of you. Uh, you know, keep up the good work, you know. Thank you, man. Appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Grandmaster David Amacucci. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in the show. It absolutely means the world to me, and I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity. If any of this resonates with you, feel free to go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. There you can follow me, or you can follow me on Spotify. And if you're interested in life coaching or health coaching, you can find me at joelevancoaching.com, and I'd love to connect with you there. Thanks, and continue to be amazing. 